3: Hi,
4: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
5: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, along with my co-host, Andrea Sutton.
4: Hey, good morning.
5: Who's uh, tending to her COVID garden and (laughs) producing piles of pandemic produce.
4: I love it. Just... You come up with such good alliteration, such goodly <laughs> alliteration. <laughs> well, I got to—I got
5: to tell you—I had a weird thing happen already this morning. You know how I—we always try it's only nine. I know, right? Um, no, I woke up to this uh, this morning because I posted about today's show. Now we've had uh, judges from the sixty-seventh District Court on the show, but today we're going to be looking at the Seventh Circuit. Uh, with Chris Christensen coming up in just a little bit, and 67th District Court Judge Herman Marrable, who is running for the Seventh Circuit, and uh, you know I posted that on on Facebook along with uh, our guest in the in the third half of the. Uh, Three hour tour today. Raj Register from Ford Motor Company, who is one of the, the big sponsors of this weekend's uh, Essence Festival, which is being done virtually. And we'll talk about that with Raj later in the show. Um, but somebody told me I missed a candidate. Oh, well, no. You know, I try really, really hard to make sure you do? that if, you know, I'm focusing on on uh, races Everybody, where, yes. where there are contests in the primary coming up in August so you know if somebody's running unopposed or if there's just uh, one Republican and one Democrat running in a seat I I haven't been reaching out to them until we get into the general but the ones where there are contests for the August primary and I've tried to reach everybody if somebody isn't on it's because they didn't respond well I looked at my list and somebody said, here's the candidate. There was a link to a Facebook page. And I've actually seen Facebook posts for this particular candidate. Her name is uh, Stephanie Witucky, I think. And she's running for the 7th District Circuit Court. And uh, somebody posted uh, a comment on my post about today's show. Uh, Paul Scott did, saying, you missed a candidate. And then uh, Fred Myers asked... uh, if um, if I just you know didn't want a woman to win that seat and uh, oh. and I, uh, which you know is <laughs> I I just I put the laugh emoji up yeah. know, on that one because <laughs> you know that's that's so far from reality but um, but it really troubled me so I went back and looked at my list which admittedly was put together before the extended deadline. To red, you know, to, oh, to fire, okay.
4: and right. for the petitions, right? It was yeah. The, the petition, the, the petition, the yeah. petition deadline
5: was extended.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I went after the original deadline and printed out my list. Stephanie, well, that's was not,
4: understandable. Okay, that's understandable mistake. Yeah,
5: but it gets weirder. Um, I go Ooh, to the okay. I go to the county clerk's site to see if it's been updated and to get contact information if she's now on the list and i can't even find the race for the seventh circuit there's like three pages missing on the the county clerk's website from the list that i printed out yeah and and they're judge races and I don't know what's going on with that. I'm sure it's a glitch. I'm sure it'll get fixed. So I go to the State, uh, to the Secretary of State's website, and there she is. So I... Uh, oh, Nellie. So I open my email. Okay. And guess what I have? An email from Stephanie saying, you know, I, I would like to be on the show. I can't do it today because, you know, I need notice, you know, because oh, hey, of yeah, work and so on. on. And, you know, I wrote her back and said, absolutely so. The point yeah. of, of saying all of that is to acknowledge that uh, there are in fact three candidates for the seat we're going to be focusing on for the next couple hours, and the the third candidate will be invited and will be part of uh, part of our look so at the the upcoming primaries. <laughs> just not today.
4: If the Genesee County Clerk is mis- missing three pages, then are other people not being informed? Because I know sometimes I would like to go before the ballot's printed, you know what I mean, and look at whose names are running for what and finding a little bit about information on them. Well, not,
5: not everybody knows, you know, to go to the, the county clerk's mm-hmm. website, to the election page, and pull up, okay. you know, the, the ballot ahead of time, but a lot of media people use oh, that yeah, as a time, source and so you know your question will will that keep people from knowing well, of course it will you know that's yeah. a huge uh glitch yeah. in uh, um and and hopefully it's just it's, it's it's just a glitch and it's a temporary thing and it will be resolved um sometime soon they're probably <laughs> still that you know the county just reopened
4: you're having a Monday problem on a Friday.
5: I know, right? Um, <laughs> well, it's become my Monday problem because I'm going to try and get, <laughs> try and get her on the show for Monday. Um, Good. Anyway, uh, you know, my my apologies to Stephanie. There, there certainly was no gender bias or uh, preference for any other candidates or any of that I going think,
4: on. I think you might pronounce her last name Whitucky.
5: You might be right. For I, some reason. Since I For haven't spoken reason. to her yet, I, I don't know. <laughs>
4: yeah, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. So, well, good. Good. Glad that situation was taken care of.
5: Well, it's it's, before you're, it's being taken care of. Yeah. And, and I checked. responded on the, on the Facebook posts and said, uh, you know, efforts are being made to correct this omission. And it's, We're it's,
4: only as good as the information we get
5: yeah and and how good is that (laughs) these days well that that fills me with confidence
4: doesn't it though
5: (laughs) anyway um i i've put together uh starting i believe july 16th we're gonna have for about uh 10 days maybe two weeks A repeat of all the candidate interviews we've done, but they've all been rearranged and reorganized so that every day is a different race.
4: Oh, that's cool.
5: So, like, one day will be the 34th District State House seat, and all of the Mm -hmm. candidates will be on. Another day will be the 48th. And, and some of our shows have worked out that way, and so they'll just be repeats of those shows. But in the ones where we had to stagger them, like today with uh, Stephanie uh, Weetucky, um, you know, will will when I post this for replay before the primary, um, all three candidates will be on the same day. Okay, good. So, you know, good. that's all being done, and it starts July 16th. It runs at least through the 24th. It's going to run into the week after that, but I don't know how far. It depends on uh, interviews we do over the next week or 10 days, because there are still a few races we haven't gotten to that have contests wow. in the August primary. And like I say, I've, I've uh, filtered the the candidate interviews by only those races where there are contests in the august primary correct but there are still a few of those that i haven't got to yet
4: (laughs) oh well at least we're getting to them
5: i know right i should take this
4: go for it yeah well detroit free press has an article And there are still some supplies during COVID that people can't get. Toilet paper was the first. But right now, bikes are hard to find in Metro Detroit, believe it or not. I think that's because all the exercises and gyms are canceled. Um, Gaming, Nintendo Switch, is another one. It looks like people are getting tired of Netflix. And cleaning supplies are still hard to find. But what is hard to find are hand sanitizer, cleaning wipes, and disinfecting wipes. And, of course, rubbing alcohol, for some reason, uh, looks like diabetics might be having a hard time um, finding it. But it looks like there was a hand sanitizer recipe which called for aloe vera and rubbing alcohol and mask-making materials as well, um, especially cotton fabric, white thread, and elastic string. Um, they are recommending that you call ahead to certain stores to find out if some of the products are there. And this is an article from the Detroit Free Press from today. And it also looks like that I think think i saw in the flint journal that flint institute no it was some of the museums in flint are doing virtual tours that'd be kind of cool um especially for the rainy season we're supposed to have tonight if you're just going to sit home yeah it's supposed to really uh, it's
5: supposed to really come down now i just had somebody yeah. call me they called on my cell phone um and I think they're going to call back in that, that wants to weigh in on this whole business about the judges. Because there was some controversy about Chris Christensen's uh, candidacy. Yeah. And um, she was very... This, uh, uh yeah. Sue Ellen. Um, there she is now. She's very upset oh, okay. about the uh, about the omission. Okay. Tom Sumner Program, you're on the air.
0: Hi, my name is Sue Ellen Parker.
5: Hi, Sue Ellen. Oh, how are you? I'm doing good. I just want to warn you, oh. we got about two and a half minutes before we have to go to break, but I want okay. to make sure you get a chance to weigh in, because we were talking on my cell phone a moment ago, and this is important. Go ahead.
0: I, I feel this is incredibly important. Um, there are three individuals running for judge. I support Stephanie Wotucki. He is the chief referee of the family law court in uh, Wayne County in the Third Circuit. She went to Flint Powers. Her husband went to Flint Southwestern. Her kids are notable graduates, two of them out of the three, from Grand Blanc. And she is running as a woman for the family law court. And last night, Judge Seely, who is retiring, endorsed her and said she would be the best candidate. I am so concerned that people are talking to Chris Christensen or Herman Marrable about experience and integrity, and certain people are coming out and saying they may support one or the other. I have found that it's just not true to say somebody's the best candidate when they don't practice family law. This is a family law court position, as was the last one when Judge Kelly ran. The person that has the most experience and the best education, schooling, schooling in Michigan, and Maribel went to Ohio State, Christensen went to Cooley, and we have a Wayne State graduate and a Flint U of M with Stephanie with tucky. And why are people not interviewing the female candidate that's the most qualified? I I don't understand that. Sue Ellen,
5: we've got one minute left till we go to break, and I want to explain that a little bit. When I printed out the county clerk's list, it was... At the time of the uh, original filing deadline, well, that deadline was extended, and I uh,
0: because of COVID. I, I understand that. Fair. I understand that. But then, did you but, explain to everyone that Chris Christensen was taken off the ballot, and then had to appeal it to the Secretary of State, and then went to the Court of Claims because he had falsified certain information. He didn't even put his correct address down on the form?
5: No, he put his business address instead of his home address. And they they cited for him.
0: But don't you want a judge that is... He knows how to read a form and he can fill it out correctly. I want to judge
5: all the all the candidates can that fill
0: something out correctly. All
5: the candidates that are on the ballot are invited to participate in these interviews, including Stephanie. I know,
6: David. Please give me, her a separate Tigger, show. P. I. Double absolutely.
0: Please give her a separate I know this, now, please, so her a show. And don't forget to remember that Tom's on the program. I'm not cutting because he's so bouncy. Well, do. This <laughs> horrible.
3: Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part. Because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your
5: children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
0: East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community focused and community supported.
5: Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional.
0: The
2: lady
3: of the house, please. Where's she? Uh You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again. This time, from heaven. That's right, Elvis from Heaven.
2: Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the sky soul-stirring versions of epic proportions.
3: You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, All Dug Up, Lying in the Chapel, and
5: eleven others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up, yes.
6: The king inside.
5: A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today.
6: To order your Elvis from Heaven, send nine ninety five in checker or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555 5554. Use Master Charge or Visa. Canadian residents add
3: $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
6: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, my my guest coming up this, uh, this segment and possibly the next segment as well is uh, one of three candidates running for the 7th uh, District Circuit Court in Genesee County. Uh, Chris Christensen joins me by phone. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, welcome to the show. I turned up the wrong lover.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I said, hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>
5: um, <clears throat> boy, I've been uh, taking some heat this morning because initially I thought there were only two candidates uh, in this race, and I've been in- accused of uh, gender bias and uh, all kinds of things already this morning. It's, it's unusual for a Friday. That's usually a Monday dilemma. Um, <laughs> But uh, what has happened is there, there have been some uh, snafus with regard to uh, filing petitions and, and that sort of thing. And, and one of the things happened uh, because of COVID-19, the deadline was extended. And I went with the original deadline, printed out the uh, list of candidates, and then started looking where there were contests in, in the primary and contacting candidates. Well, come to find out, there was a candidate who was added to the list later in the process. And um, I went to the uh, county clerk's uh, website, and the whole race is gone. Oh, really? Yeah. If you you go to the election page at the county clerk's office and pull it up, the uh, 7th Circuit isn't even... On the list for the ballot, uh, so I checked with the uh, Secretary of State, and of course it's there, and I have invited um, Stephanie uh, Witucky to uh, to be on the show as well. just won't be part of today's show today we're going to talk with Chris and then with herman Maribel. but since i since I said that and I, and I have to explain that because we had kind of a not an angry caller, but somebody who was upset and concerned about uh, any potential omission. Uh, of a candidate and that's never my intention Um, but um, as long as I brought it up there was a uh, a little bit of a controversy over your petitions Chris in that uh, you had put as your uh, address your business address rather than your home address which is the the standard uh, practice and that had to be resolved in court. What, what exactly was the situation with that, Chris, and how did that get resolved so that you are officially on the ballot?
6: Yeah, it was very, very uh, nerve-wracking, as you can imagine, because we got started uh, working on getting our petitions very, very early, and uh, you needed a minimum of 1,000 signatures to be on the ballot and a maximum of 2,000, and so we we're the only candidate that obtained 2,000 signatures, and we submitted our signatures back on March 5th, way in advance um, before the uh, COVID actually hit hard here in Michigan and so we were waiting and then uh, we got a challenge to our signatures because they said all the petitions were, were not valid because we used the campaign headquarters address which is actually also my office address and so we looked at the statute and the statute just says address and and so it was it was kind of strange because the board of canvassers adopted the challenge position that it had to be a residence and so we said wait a minute we've we've reviewed the statute the the secretary of state also puts out a publication called uh how to fill out and prepare petitions and neither the statute nor that publication say residence so we followed those directions and what happened is that when we prepared our um our com- committee name and our statement of organization we used our office address because that's where we wanted all our mail to come and so that's why we put that address on our petitions and so we we thought we were totally in compliance the statute agreed and here's one more thing that was even more frustrating is that back on january 27th before we got a single signature i sent my petition to the secretary secretary of state to get a review and i got an email back two days later on january 29th that said yes your petitions are accurate chris so we use those petitions. So it was very, very frustrating uh, that the Board of Canvassers um, ignored the statute and the plain language, which there's a ton of case law in Michigan that they have to follow the statute. And so we had to go to the Court of Claims and the Court of Appeals judge had to review everything. And what I think is really telling is that the Court of Appeals judge gave us deadlines for filing. And after we filed, we filed initially, so the Attorney General filed the response, and then we got a day to file a reply. Once we filed our reply, the Court of Appeals judge had his opinion, eight-page opinion, done and submitted in less than two hours. So it really wasn't a close call, but but it was very, very frustrating that it had not gotten resolved before it did. So it cost us a, a quite a bit of time uh, not being able to really campaign because we were in limbo.
5: Do, do you understand why there might have been... Uh... Uh, a challenge raised or, or some confusion because typically uh, we think of someone's home address or where they vote as the address used for the purposes of uh, circulating petitions and other ele- related election
6: materials. Could be, um, but this, that is much more important, I believe, when you have a district where you have to reside in the district. For example, uh, Flint District Court, you're required to live in the city. And so that's tremendously important. You want to make sure you're there. In this case, though, we're running it for a county-wide position, and both of my addresses are obviously in the county. But I, I was just happy that it was able to get resolved.
5: Now, this is uh, what's considered a non-incumbent position or an open seat on the bench uh, for the Seventh Circuit. Um, there was an open seat on the district court. Did you consider that, or was there a specific reason why you were attracted to the the circuit court and in particular this is a family court isn't it
6: well a couple things you have a lot of lot of questions in that in that one uh the first one is that i don't live in a district where there is an open district court seat so the open district court seat is flint uh and i live in grand blank so okay i I couldn't run there um as far as running to run for circuit i ran for circuit in 2018 and i came in third place there were eight people at that time that ran originally uh, and there were two seats and i came i was the highest vote getter to not be successful um which is a unfortunate (laughs) distinction that's
5: that's an interesting (laughs) turn uh, of phrase there chris
6: (laughs) but uh so so i was always going to go there and this is a family court position, and what's interesting is that I'm the only candidate that has any family court experience here in Genesee County. Um, I was on the child abuse and neglect panel for Judge Weiss and then Judge Beam for seven years. Uh, we helped try to unify families and work to protect kids, and so I'm the only candidate with any experience in the family court system here in Genesee County. But also, um, what happened in 2018 is that there was a restructuring of some of the dockets, and... Uh, there's nothing to say that that might not happen again here, too, where they might play to the better strengths of whoever is the successful candidate. And so um, I'd be happy to uh, be a family court judge and use that experience that I have here locally um, to help our, our community. Or if they put me in a different position, I've got criminal experience and an awful lot of civil litigation experience in circuit court.
5: You know a lot of people don't really understand very much about how the uh, how the courts are set up and how they work, Chris. Um, how is the the first of all, let's let's do a little 101 here and talk about the, dis- the difference between district court and and circuit court and then what seats are available on the circuit court and and what determines who sits on on which bench.
6: Okay. Well, the for the 101 portion of that question, it's the district court handles uh, civil controversies that are $25,000 or less, uh, which includes small claims, landlord-tenant, land contract disputes, etc. But it also handles all misdemeanors, so any misdemeanor, misdemeanor criminal cases, and it also has the gatekeeper function for felonies, which means that any felony that, has, that occurs in our county must go to a district court first for a probable cause. Uh, preliminary exam. So, what that does is to see if the case uh, rises to the probable cause level in order for the case to be bound over to circuit court and continue as a felony, or if it should be resolved um, as a misdemeanor or dismissed as there's not enough probable cause. So, that's the primary function of the district court. The circuit court is any controversy over uh, $25,000. So, um, anything that's uh, a contract dispute. Um, It also has uh, equitable jurisdiction, which equitable jurisdiction means uh, that it covers anything else that's not necessarily monetary. For example, real estate, boundary line disputes, uh, those type of things get heard up in circuit court. Circuit court handles all felonies. Circuit court also handles all divorce cases, um, child custody type cases, child abuse and neglect cases where we talked about, juvenile delinquency cases. Um, personal protection orders, but then there's also the probate division, and the probate division handles uh, wills and trusts um, and certain guardianships, conservatorships, all of those type of cases. So that's the basic difference between the two, is that district court is a limited jurisdiction court. The next part of your question was who determines the docket, and the dockets get set by typically the chief judge can make the adjustments, and there's some additional Uh, factors. For example, the probate court is set technically different. Those are different seats. And uh, the chief judge still has some some discretion and authority there. As far as who's up this time, I'm not sure what the incumbent is. Um, I, I know it's Mark Lachana, but I don't know who else. But in the incumbent, you had to designate on your petitions. And I'm not aware of any incumbent that was directly challenged. So I don't think there's any challengers for any of the incumbent races that might be up, up this year. And as far as the open seat, there's only the one, and there's, as you've already noted, three challengers.
5: And with this um, moving forward, Chris, you mentioned you ran back in 2018. Um, this is a very different time to be running for anything uh, because of COVID-19 and uh, moving filing deadlines and, and amounts of signatures have been Uh, changed and made a little bit more uh, a little easier for candidates but um, but for candidates running uh, first of all how is a campaign for a seat on the bench different than other political campaigns and is it tougher during these uh, stay-at-home orders and and closures that we're experiencing because of COVID-19
6: well, Tom, you'd love to ask multiple questions in one que- one question. So, well, Chris, I'd like I to, to give <laughs> you something
5: to work with. <laughs>
6: <laughs> well, the first part is this: I, I've never run for anything else formally, so I, I can't tell you the difference between running for, say, state rap and and running for judge. Uh, last time was my only, uh, my first opportunity and only opportunity running for a public office, so I can only compare it to last time, uh, but... It is absolutely different. It has been very, very strange, because you're correct. Last time you could go door to door and actually interact with people. Right now, that is uh, not welcome by anybody. I, I'm not sure that it would be legal either, really. But, but uh, it's not welcome, for sure. People don't want to have that face-to-face contact. And well, you can't, really you, you can't go
5: out shaking hands and kissing babies, you know. It's for a,
6: sure. There's, a, well, there's no, there's no big major events, <clears throat> Which last time we went to everything, uh, all the parades have been canceled, which is a staple for campaigning. We, we all like to go on those parades and uh, meet a ton of voters, and we're not able to do that. So this has just been a very, very strange time. Um, if I had never run before, this would have been, I, I would have thought maybe this was normal, and it's certainly not normal.
5: I, so how do you, how, what's, the, what's the new normal or do we even I, I, know yet?
6: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think we're all we're all trying to find our way for what that might be. So we're, you know, trying to use social media a little bit more this time than we were, uh, trying to encourage word of mouth more. So there's a lot of those things that we're all hoping will work. In this case here, though, too, I've... I've been fortunate enough, I, I was endorsed by all the major unions, uh, and so I have a lot of labor endorsements, including the UAW, AFSME, AFL-CIO, and a bunch of those. So I think that helps. We're going to try to use use that to our advantage, but again, it's it's different than normal because uh, normally they would all have their monthly meetings, and we could go meet them direct and again have that face-to-face interaction, and, and now we, we can't maximize that.
5: Do those endorsements uh, come with checks? Because I would imagine uh, fundraising is uh, made more difficult by COVID as well.
6: Yes, yeah, some do. They do. And you're absolutely right. We, <clears throat> When we ran in 2018, we had a ton of fundraisers. We had a golf outing. We had a concert. We we did uh, uh, spot small fundraisers all around the county so we could meet people in all the different areas. We went everywhere. And uh, this time, we haven't been able to have any because... Uh, we've we've tried to do it digitally and and try to raise money that way, but it's been difficult because we can't get out and host any crowd over ten people. I mean, it's it's challenging for sure. Hey,
5: Chris, I've got a uh, a caller on the line. Do you mind if I uh, if I uh, bring him in? He he wants to ask a question. Sure. Yeah, go go ahead, uh, Bob.
6: Uh, good morning, Tom, and good morning, Chris. Uh, Chris, very quickly, what are some of the challenges? I'm not sure if this has already been discussed between you and Tom. If it hasn't, here we go. What are the current challenges that are being offered by the current operations of the, uh, the circuit court that make you feel you're the candidate to solve these issues. I'm just curious that um, you know people run for a reason. So I'm just kind of curious. What are some of the current situations that present difficulties that are not being addressed where you feel you're the candidate that has the answers?
0: Thanks,
5: Tom. Thanks, As always, Bob, you're you're getting a little ahead of me, but thanks for the call. <laughs> Go ahead, well, Chris.
6: One of the things that I think is important is transparency, and And we have to do a better job of that. We have to make sure that everybody has an equal access to justice and that they have transparency in the court system. So what I think is important is that we make sure that we allow everybody to come in, we allow everybody to be heard. And one of the things, I've been an attorney for over 20 years, that I hear all the time is that people don't feel that they have an opportunity to be heard in court sometimes. And part of that is that the, we have to follow the rules, and we have a ton of court rules that have been around forever. And so we have to follow those rules, and, and laymen don't, don't work with those rules on a day-to-day basis. Some of these rules kind of don't make sense if you just tried to read them. And so we have to do a better job of trying to explain how those apply to their situation and why, for example, uh, they can't just uh, say what they want to say right when they want to say it. They have to follow the procedure and the protocols. And that's very frustrating to people, and I think we have to do a much better job of doing that I think that I do a really good job of trying to explain things, and so that's why I do think I would be pretty good for this position.
5: Well, let me, let me ask you uh, something else uh, about um, judicial discretion. How much discretion is there uh, for a circuit court judge, and, and how much are you sort of uh, shackled to precedent?
6: well we're abs- well again that's a double question there, so we 'll we'll go back. <clears throat> a circuit court judge does have some pretty broad discretion, but there is review by the Court of Appeals and ultimately the Supreme Court if they abuse that discretion. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, it 's a court of equity, which means that there are certain decisions that the circuit court judge gets to make that are based on the principles of fairness. For example, there could be a custody question and there is some some precedent there's some guidelines for that but there's also some decisions that the judge has to make based on the limited facts that might be in front of them for that custody dispute on the other hand the other side of that coin is that anywhere that there is precedent we are absolutely bound by it so if cases have if there's a published court of appeals opinion or or supreme court opinion we have to follow those guidelines go back to the petitions that we were talking about earlier. And that's why we were fairly confident that we should have um, been on the ballot because there's a ton of case law that says that courts have to follow the plain language of a statute. And judges are bound by the plain language of a statute. So judges cannot expand the statute and judges cannot change the meaning of the statute of the words. They have to follow the plain language of the words. And so we are bound by that for every statute that we have to re- review and interpret.
5: Another thing I'm I'm curious <laughs> about, uh, Chris, is more and more we're seeing um, situations happen in other branches of government, legislative and uh, executive, where, uh, like, for example, uh, the city of Flint, uh, historically there's no love lost between the uh, mayoral administrations and the various city councils over the years and a lot of things that they uh, should be deciding at that level end up in court and and courts are you know part of the the checks and balances and and are required to resolve those disputes but um can can a judge uh tell a uh, uh an administration or a uh a city council or other legislative body could be the county board of commissioners, I suppose, or or any of the township councils around the county. Um, you know, go back to the drawing board and get this resolved. This is this is your job, not the job of the courts, to decide legislative matters.
6: You hit the nail on the head. Uh, except for a few things, and again i don 't want to sound like a, a broken record, but we have we 're bound by the statutes and by the case law, so we are bound by that, so we don 't have a ton of latitude there, but the courts do have the ability to uh, take what 's called superintending control it 's by a what 's called a writ of mandamus it 's a special action, and so the courts can tell um, certain certain portions of of Either the statute, or I'm sorry, of the city or of the um, county to do something. But it has to be very, very narrowly done, and it has to be ministerial. They could not go back and say, hey, we don't like the way you've done this, redo that. They have no authority to do that. And a good illustration of that is the court case, the federal court case that expanded the petitions. You know, and we keep going back to that because it's fresh in everybody's mind. In that court case, the federal court judge said to the state of Michigan, hey, you guys must expand because of COVID, you must expand the opportunity to file your petitions, and you must also limit or reduce the number of signatures required. And the state of Michigan immediately appealed that to the uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in federal court, and the federal court judge said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You do have, you do have, the the federal court judge does have the ability to say to the state of Michigan, constitutionally, you have to make provisions. But he overstepped his bounds, and he could not prescribe exactly what they were allowed to do. In other words, he couldn't say that you could drop it down to 50% signature requirement or 75% signature requirement. That had to be left to the states to legislate what that change was going to be. All he could do was say, you must make some change. So I, I hope that example kind of helps. It, it shows that the courts can, can spearhead and require the, the local legislator or local municipality to do something, but they can't say what that something would be.
5: Now, we've been talking about how this uh, election cycle is uh, very different because of COVID-19, and one of those differences is a lot more uh, uh, absentee voting, partly because of new Michigan law, but also uh, because people are being encouraged to vote by mail as a way of maintaining social distancing. Um, what do you think there 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 is some controversy over voting by mail or early voting as it's called in other states It's uh no reason uh absentee voting here in michigan um how do How do you feel about that? Do you think uh, voting by mail can be uh, done fairly
6: and uh securely i I do <clears throat> i think each each state in, including our state will only be as good as the protocols that they put in place and uh, they've done they've done absentee balloting for years especially for our military overseas that's the, basically the only way they wind up being able to vote because they're not home or in their districts on voting day so it's been around for a long time there are other states that have done no reason uh, which is what Michigan has now no reason absentee balloting for years and so we are a little bit behind on how that's going to be done but there are plenty of good models out there to make sure that it's done properly and that it's you know the protocols are followed and i think this is going to be interesting for us because when that new law passed in 2018 it's uh it's it was interesting because they they went from the old rule where you had to have a reason for why you're doing it to now this and we expected there to be an increase just like you said but now with covid it, I I do think it's going to be a ton of people who are still nervous about being out uh, and obviously don't want to wait in line and don't want to be exposed and and that are going to vote this way. So it's going to be interesting to see how many absentee voters we get.
5: Well, if uh, May Mm -hmm. is any indication, it's it's going to participation looks like it might be uh, might be up. Chris, I have to take a break here. Can you stand by for a few minutes so we can talk a little bit more in the next segment? sure okay my guest is chris christensen he's a candidate for the uh, seventh circuit uh, genesee county court we'll be back with more right after hi, this hi this is joe by from the blue Lions, and you're listening to the tom sumner program
3: take it away. Hey, this is
4: First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, My my guest uh, this hour I'm talking with is a candidate for the uh, 7th circuit uh, court in genesee county you see it on the bench there it's a non-incumbent position which means it's uh uh, essentially an open seat chris christensen is my guest and he uh, joins me by phone chris welcome back thanks tom um chris one of the things uh we were talking in the last segment mostly about uh, process and i want to talk a little bit more about uh Uh, rule of law and and other uh, uh, more um, job description related uh, issues. Um, I I had a a call during the break there um, asking, throwing back to something you said about uh, being bound by precedent and the the caller was uh, wanting to ask if you had ever uh, faced or, or seen a case happen where Precedent was followed, um, but didn't get the outcome that that justice you would think uh, by by contemporary standards would require.
6: Actually, yes, um, I have seen cases where the judge will say right on the record, "Listen, I I am bound by precedent, um, meaning the case law, and and I have no choice here but to follow the law, and so." Uh, That does happen, and and it can happen frequently. I'll give you a quick example just from my own experience. I had a client that was moving in circuit court to have his record expunged. An expungement is where if you have one felony, um, or there's a combination of other factors to be eligible. But, for example, in this case, it was one felony, and he had it 20 years ago when he was a kid. He was 18 years old. And so he was moving to have that set aside. Um, And under the old statute... You, if you didn't meet the criteria, then you were not eligible to get it done. And so the attorney general's office issued a letter that said they thought he was eligible. The Genesee County Prosecutor's Office reviewed and thought that, uh, that uh, he was eligible, but then they found something that they weren't sure about and they had to investigate. So they adjourned the hearing, and they were able to determine that he had had too many misdemeanors in order to be eligible for this. And what had occurred is that they had his name wrong and that's why it had not shown up when the Attorney General searched and when Genesee County Prosecutor's Office originally searched. And so because he had too many misdemeanors, he was not eligible to have this felony removed. And it was in front of Judge Jewell, who's now retired, and Judge Jewell said right on the record, I apologize. I, you know, you've made tremendous you know, turnaround in your life. You've been in no crime, no contact with the police in over 20 years. I would absolutely grant this. However, I cannot grant it because you are not eligible, and I am bound by the statute. And so he wasn't able to do it. Interesting. One one of the
5: things that's been happening, we've been talking about the impact of uh, COVID-19, but that's not the only thing that has stirred things up in the country over the last few weeks. Um, Certainly uh, things that have gone on in the wake of the George Floyd killing and the uh, uh, Breonna Taylor killing. um, And it has uh, spurred a lot of conversation about defunding the police. And while that means something different to a lot of different people, most people agree that at the very least it means uh, reallocating some of the resources that go to the police into other kinds of uh, programs such as homelessness,, uh, mental health, uh, drug uh, abuse and and addiction. Um, and police are, being required to do things that that go above and beyond what you typically think of as the duties of a police officer, should we be looking at uh, at, at restructuring law enforcement in, in a way that that puts better expertise on the front line of some of those issues? And don't the courts have a role in this too? As we hear more and more about. Um, people basically being sent to prison for mental health issues and um, and, and, and I, I know'm I'm, I'm setting up a lot of different things <laughs> within that Chris, but but I do that intentionally because I, I, I have a feeling that all of this is being put on the police when in fact there are elements in the criminal justice system throughout that need uh,
6: reform. I, you're absolutely right there's the, this is a is absolutely an excellent opportunity for us to make change and the change is long overdue um, what's been interesting the last several years is that all around the state of Michigan and in, including here in Genesee County there have been specialty courts and the specialty courts are designed to help people and not necessarily incarcerate people and and those programs need to probably be expanded and some of those programs, for example, there's a mental health court. You mentioned mental health court, Judge, Judge Barkey runs the mental health court. Uh, and I was honored to get her endorsement actually, just today we posted that. Um, and, and that mental health court is designed to help people with mental health problems, not be placed back into incarceration or prison, but to get the, the ongoing support that they need. And so uh, I, I think we're moving more in that direction. We've got drug courts, we've got baby courts, we've got a sobriety court, we have a veterans court. So we have all these different courts that are moving to help those people that need the extra help and, and not just lock people up. But I, I think that's only part of the issue. I think the, the other part of the issue is that we, we have to have um, better, better training for our officers and, and better training for, for our society, actually. This diversity has to be more inclusive. And we've got to do that. We've got to work on that. And that's been difficult for everybody uh, to get through. And so um, I'm hopeful that this is going to spark some serious change, hopefully some real serious change for everybody. I grew up in the city of Flint. I went to city of Flint public schools, um, I'm on the board at Burston for the Burston Fieldhouse and I would love to see a positive change for not just Flint but our whole community where everybody can work together because we all live together and and that's the important thing is making sure that we're all on the same page going forward it's absolutely long overdue time for a change I, Chris I, I um, we've we've talked a lot
5: about the impact of of COVID-19 on campaigning and and, and really all aspects of life in Michigan as we know it. Um, but I want to uh, make sure, as I do with um, all my guests, to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find out more about you, about your background, about any positions that you are allowed to take um, as a candidate. Do you have a
6: website? I do. Uh, it's Christensen for Judge. Uh, they can go find me there. There's a uh, a lot more detail about me out there, and then there's also a Facebook page uh, that's uh, Christensen for Chris Christensen for Circuit Court. So they can find me at both of those places and get much more information about me. And then my they can always go to my firm website too, Um Chris, the uh, uh, do you think that? Uh,
5: People are going to be voting uh, much earlier than the uh, August fourth primary.
6: I, I, it's just a guess, but I, I, I think probably so. Um, just
5: uh, as a as a final, um, are, are there any? Uh, I, I've tried to squeeze a lot of different uh, concepts and questions into a handful of questions and the time is going by very quickly, but I wanna give you a chance to uh, share any final thoughts.
6: Well, uh, you certainly do. Like we've already noted, those are some compound questions that you ask, but they're good questions and, they, and they're thought provoking. So thank you for that. Uh, what, I, what I guess I would like to leave with the listeners is that I have been very active in our community for 20 years um, as an attorney. And not just active in the legal profession, although uh, I was the Genesee County Bar Association president. Um, I was, and I still am, on the Board of Commissioners for the State Bar of Michigan. There's about 45,000 lawyers in the state of Michigan and only 32 attorneys get elected to be on the Board of Commissioners. And that's one of the governing bodies for all attorneys in the state. And I'm fortunate enough to have been elected twice to that position. And currently I'm also, the president of the Inns of Court, which the Inns of Court is a group of uh, lawyers and judges that promote professionalism, ethics, and civility. And so I'm honored to be the president of that organization currently, too. But those are the legal things that I do. Uh, on the personal side, I, I want the voters to understand that, that I live here and I deeply believe that we have to be um, active in our community. So uh, my office has long been active in um, Whaley fundraisers, the Hurley. Um, I, I lost an aunt to breast cancer, so we've been very active in, in breast cancer fundraising and awareness. And so w- we take all of this stuff very, very seriously. And I want to share one thing that just happened um, during COVID. Uh, I have I have asthma, and so when it, we first started with with COVID, we were all terrified. You know, when when the state got locked down, my wife and I were both home and uh, very, very nervous about what was going to go on in, in our our area and I heard from a friend that the uh, Food Bank of Eastern Michigan didn't have delivery drivers because a lot of their uh, volunteers were retirees and they were the most vulnerable. And so my wife and I even though we were terrified, we started volunteering and for 60 days until my my wife went back to work and my work started to pick back up, almost every day including Saturdays and Sundays, we went out and we helped the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan deliver food because we thought, you know, Even though I had asthma, I was nervous about it. But if if nobody did it, these folks that relied on this um, deliveries for food, if nobody did it, there was going to be no one to help. And so uh, we volunteered to do that, and we did it right up until we went back to work. And and we were proud to have done that. But it was very nerve-wracking, especially early on, uh, because we didn't know the extent of this virus. And uh, and we were just happy to help. So I think those are important things that people know about me.
5: Chris, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. I appreciate uh, your willingness to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. Right. Bye. That was uh, Flint attorney Chris Christerson. Uh, Chris Christensen, rather, forgive me. Uh, that little slip of the tongue. Um, we're going to take a short break and we're going to move on to another candidate for that same non-incumbent position on the bench of the uh, 7th District Circuit Court.
0: You pilots,
6: get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go
5: on! Go on, get out of here! It's t-